0: This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 99. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, does Federal Rule 30's seven hour time limit include cross-examination? What if the direct examination took the full seven? Hey everybody, I hope you're doing well. I frequently get questions about what's included in that seven hour time limit in federal civil depositions. And it's almost always asked in a kind of off handed way along the lines of, hey, I know there's a seven hour limit, but that doesn't include cross, right? Because my opponents almost always use the full seven or close to it. So I get time to cross the witness on the issues that they raised, right? I'll get into that right now. And at the end of this episode, I'll offer some practical tips. If you run into this situation, and either need to seek or oppose additional time. But the clear answer is that the seven hour time limit does include direct, cross, redirect, recross, and everything else in the form of witness examination. So federal rule 30 D one caps the length of the deposition of the testimony at seven hours, no matter how many plaintiffs, no matter how many defendants, no matter how many issues in the case, how many claims or defenses, unless the parties stipulate otherwise or unless the court orders otherwise. So if you and the opposing lawyer agreed to allow additional time for cross, that would be a stipulation. Technically, a stipulation under Rule 29, which is titled Stipulations About Discovery Procedure. And I covered Rule 29 in Episode 22. A court can also order additional time and can do so before the deposition begins or after if you file the appropriate motions. You can also provide for additional time if you're in federal court and provide for a division of the time in a given deposition between the lawyers in your joint report of parties planning meeting. So that's a way to get out in front of this issue and avoid arguments later. In fact, lawyers in complex litigation frequently do that. Their joint report to the court uh, about what the schedule should be and should look like will often contain a section discussing the need for additional time in depositions and how that time will be divvied up among counsel. So you can address this at the beginning of the litigation. You can address it in a motion if the need for additional time becomes apparent before a deposition and hasn't already been addressed in your papers. And you can address it in a motion following a deposition by asking the court either to reopen the deposition and in effect, treated your uh, follow up examination as a continuation of the original deposition, or to allow you to simply notice the witness for a second deposition, which is required under Rule 30A2A3. As you know, uh, the default in federal court is that a person can only be deposed once without court order. So that's how to do it. I should mention, though, that you should not assume a judge will allow you additional time without a good cause showing just because the direct examination consumed all or most of the seven hour limit. So even in situations where it seems pretty obvious that you should be allowed at least some examination, it's just not a given. So if you need to conduct a follow up examination, you just can't phone that motion in, you've got to establish a good cause basis for being allowed to do so. And by the way, there's not a lot of case law on this issue. I suspect it's because most lawyers simply work this out on their own um, but the territory is for the most part uncharted let's take a quick look at the operative provisions of the rules and of the committee notes because they also have something to say about this situation federal rule of civil procedure 30 d1 titled duration says unless otherwise stipulated or ordered by the court a deposition is limited to one day of seven hours and then it continues the court must allow additional time consistent with the rules, Rule 26 and its subprovisions, if needed to fairly examine the deponent or if the deponent, another person, or any other circumstance has impeded or delayed the examination. All right, and the committee notes to the 2000 amendment further help us understand how to assess this. They make clear that the seven-hour limit first contemplates that there are going to be breaks for lunch, of course, and other reasons, and that the only time to be counted is the time occupied by the actual deposition, meaning the taking of testimony. So you exclude breaks and you exclude time spent arguing objections, for example. In episode 21, which I titled Wizards and Codes, I talked about the software that most reporters use that will allow them to precisely track the time that's been occupied by the actual testimony. And it's best to do that, I can tell you from experience, uh, before the deposition starts. And it's something as simple as turning to the reporter and saying, hey, can you track the time of examination as we progress here so that we can all accurately calculate how much of the seven has been used? Otherwise, it's just going to result in guesses by all present as to how long uh, the deposition has been in progress. And that almost always leads to unnecessary arguments. Uh, The 2000 committee notes uh, say that the seven hour duration limit can be extended or otherwise altered by agreement, but that absent agreement, a court order is needed. And then it goes on to say the party seeking a court order to extend the examination or to otherwise alter the limitation is expected to show good cause to justify such an order. So that's where the good cause requirement pops up. It's in the committee notes to the 2000 amendments. As a side note, if you've ever been held to the good cause standard in federal court, you know that it's not as simple a standard as it might sound like to meet. If you've ever, for example, uh, tried to modify a scheduling order once entered, then you're surely familiar with that good cause standard and the sometimes onerous burden that it forces you to satisfy. Okay, so this issue about whether or not the seven hour time limit includes all follow up examination uh, popped up in a case currently pending in Nevada. That's the Tankersley case in the show notes, where the defense apparently consumed all but about 35 minutes of the plaintiffs videotaped deposition. At some point during the depot itself, the videographer asked for a short break to swap tapes and that triggered a conversation about how long the deposition had been in progress. Evidently, at that very moment, the answer was seven hours and two minutes. So the plaintiff's counsel, from her perspective, was just starting her follow-up examination of her own client. The filings in the record reflect that there was some back and forth about how long the follow-up examination would take, and that's what led to the motions and responses later filed with the court. For her part, uh, plaintiff's counsel asked the court to allow her to reopen and extend her client's deposition so that her follow-up examination would be an integrated part of the original deposition. Uh, Alternatively, she asked the court to allow her to notice her own client for a second separate depot to develop the testimony that would have been provided in the first. By way of background, uh, the plaintiff in this case evidently is or was an employee of the corporate defendants, and this was a disability-related employment discrimination claim. Uh, The lawsuit In that case, the amended complaint alleged that uh, the plaintiff worked behind the scenes with the crews responsible for the MGM production in Las Vegas of Cirque Dave Soleil's O Show uh, at the Bellagio Hotel. And the lawsuit alleges that the plaintiff suffered various conditions as a result of being exposed to different substances, including a certain type of flammable liquid that apparently was ignited during the Burning Man Act in the show and the lawsuit alleges that the plaintiff was exposed to those alleged hazards because of his role on the production team. All right, travel footnote, if you're planning a trip to Las Vegas and have never been there, the Bellagio is well known for many things, but among them are its water fountain show in front of the hotel right along the Las Vegas Strip. So if that's something on your must see list, let me recommend staying in one of the balcony rooms at the Cosmopolitan Hotel right next to the Bellagio. You have to ask for a terrace room with a fountain view because, incredibly, the hotel has two sides and one of them does not face the fountains. As for this travel bonus, I say, you're welcome. Okay, back to the decision. The April 18, 2022 order that came to our attention about this seven-hour time limit issue arose because the defense examination, as I said, consumed all but about 35 minutes uh, of the seven-hour limit. And the filings indicate that the defense counsel in that case used around 40, 42 exhibits, totaling about 370 pages, which plaintiff's counsel said she was about to cover on her follow-up cross-examination. And in this case, she said she wanted more time because obviously the plaintiff is a key witness, because of the numerous documents that were used, and because the time frame or time span over which the pertinent events occurred involved quite a number of years. Apparently, the plaintiff began working at the hotel in about 2008, so lots of years to cover. Uh, The defendant, MGM Resorts and the Bellagio Casino, unsurprisingly, opposed the effort, saying that extensions are the exception, that's true, not the rule, and that the plaintiff had not demonstrated good cause to go beyond seven hours. The defense said, among other things, that the discovery deadline in this case has been extended four times already. And they say that the plaintiff uh, waited approximately four months to seek this kind of relief. Apparently the plaintiff's deposition was September 28, 2021. The motions to extend the deposition or to allow the plaintiff to be separately noticed for a second deposition were filed on January 30 2022. So the defense says no showing of good cause, no showing of due diligence. You know, you'd think that the defendants opposition here might be unreasonable. But my take is that they simply read the rule and the committee notes very carefully. They do say seven hours and there's that pesky uh, standard about good cause. And we ask, Uh, why couldn't the plaintiff just add whatever the plaintiff needed to add in an affidavit or a declaration whenever it came time to flush out the testimony, presumably at dispositive motion time? So the Tangersley decision is a textbook lesson about the fact that extensions, even when they seem to make sense, aren't automatic. The nine-page ruling that resulted discusses in considerable detail the various factors that should or should not Uh, allow the plaintiff to reopen the deposition or to notice a second one. Ultimately, the judge in the Tankersley case, the federal judge, granted the plaintiff's request to reopen his deposition, but limited it to four hours and reopened it, quote, for the sole purpose of concluding cross-examination, end quote. So presumably that meant no more direct. The court expressly denied the motion to notice this as a second deposition, but it didn't seem like that really had any significance other than the fact that um, the previous one was being reopened. Didn't seem like there was any particular logic to characterizing it as a reopening or as a second deposition. Okay, so let's jump into some pointers when you are seeking additional time or when you are opposing an adversary's effort to obtain more time in a deposition. What you must keep in mind as we walk through these is first that the rules specifically contemplate requests for more time. And second, the standard is good cause shown. So it's not automatic. And the standard you're going to have to meet uh, isn't necessarily a piece of cake. You're not likely to get the additional time if the argument is simply, well, it's my client and I should be allowed to ask more questions. So let's jump into the arguments you ought to consider if you need more time. And then we'll flip the coin and talk about the arguments to make to oppose a request for more time for a witness to be deposed arguments in favor of number one, obviously, the deponent is a key witness in the case. That's the situation in Tankersley, the plaintiff, a party. Number two, that the initial examination obviously consumed most or all of the default seven hours. Number three, argue that the issues are complex, the claims or defenses are complicated. Number four, point out that the lawyer that conducted the initial examination, the noticing lawyer, Covered a wide range of issues and timeframes. Number five, argue that the examining lawyer used a large number of exhibits that require additional testimony from the witness. Number six, argue that the information that you need to gain in follow up examination cannot be obtained from some other source other than the actual testimony of the witness. But beware if you make that argument that the court may ask you why can't the witness simply provide the additional testimony? by affidavit or declaration number seven, argue that the exhibits used in the deposition weren't produced in advance, and so could not have been reviewed by the deponent thoroughly ahead of time. Number eight, argue the language of the rule, which is that the examination should proceed as it would at trial, which of course, would include reasonable cross examination on the issues raised in the direct. Number nine, identify the topics that you want to cover and stress that the examination will not be redundant. Number 10, argue that there are language or speech difficulties, if that applies, or mental impairments or other factors that require more time to examine the witness. Number 11, argue that the length of time that you're seeking is proportionate to the length of time that the examining lawyer took and proportionate to the issues and needs of the case. Number 12, argue that reopening the deposition or allowing you to notice a second deposition of the deponent serves the purposes of the federal rules, which is to secure the just, speedy, and inexpensive determination of every action. Number 13, point out that the rules specifically say, quote, preoccupation with timing is to be avoided. That's in the committee notes, uh, not in the rule itself. Point 14. Point 14. Uh, Also note that the rule itself, this is in the language of Federal Rule 30, says, quote, the court must allow additional time consistent with the rules if needed to fairly examine the deponent or if the deponent, another person, or any other circumstance impeded or delayed the examination. And finally, argue that it's essential that the examination, your follow-up questions, be a continuation of the direct because it otherwise exposes the deponent to argument in front of the jury, that various matters, various answers weren't even mentioned during the deposition and only surfaced long after in the form of an affidavit, almost as an afterthought. The opposing lawyer could probably make some hay out of that argument. And I do sometimes conduct significant follow-up examination where appropriate, specifically so that it's part of the testimony and so that I don't need to tack it on later as separate testimony in the form of an affidavit or declaration. This is especially true when I need to clarify something or make sure that the deponent puts prior existing testimony in context. Otherwise, we're likely to face argument by the adversary at dispositive motion time that these things were concocted. And that's the argument you'll typically hear being made to the court or to a jury, which is in effect, well, they didn't mention that before in their deposition. So I think that point illustrates why it's so important to get that follow-up examination and the testimony in as part of the original deposition. And I think the plaintiff's lawyer in Tankersley did a very good job of arguing that to the court and getting those four additional hours of follow-up examination. All right. If you're opposing a request for more time, well, first, obviously, look at the points in favor and do your analysis from the reverse perspective, effectively flip those arguments. Secondly, if you used less than the full seven hours, point out the fact that the opposing lawyer conducted at least some kind of follow up examination and closed out the deposition. Argue if it applies that they didn't use all the time that they would have been allotted under the seven hours. If you used five and the opposing lawyer didn't use the full two hours, you've probably got a decent argument, depending of course, on the nature of the deposition that they didn't use all the time available to them. And that if they had done so, they wouldn't need to be coming back to the court and that the court shouldn't now reopen the deposition just because the movement has thought of more questions. That's not how this works. Next point, argue that the issues aren't complex don't involve a large number of documents and don't involve a wide timeframe. Next point, argue that an affidavit or declaration will work just fine and is far less burdensome and time consuming on everyone. Next point, if the movement hasn't clearly explained what it is they want to ask and how much time it's going to take, argue that. Argue that they haven't shown that the information in question can't be obtained from some other source. Oftentimes, it can. Oftentimes, a second deposition truly isn't necessary. Next point, argue that the topics they want to cover, if they have disclosed them, are redundant or irrelevant to the case. And insist if the court allows additional time that there be some allocation so that you can conduct your own recross, redirect, whatever the case may be, so that the deposition for both sides is complete. All right. And finally, if the movement has disclosed the proposed topics of examination, consider arguing that it actually should count as a new deposition if the court is inclined to allow it and should count against the default allocation of 10 depositions under the federal rules and not as a follow-up or continuing examination from the initial deposition. That was actually an argument made by the Boeing Aircraft Company in the Alabama Aircraft Industries case, also in the show notes, essentially, uh, the argument they made, among others, was that if the courts inclined to allow the deposition to be reopened, uh, that the movement ought to be forced to burn off one of their 10 depositions to do it. The bottom line here is that there are obviously compelling reasons to ask the court to allow you to extend the time of a deposition where the noticing lawyer has used most or all of the seven hours. Now, clearly, there are many occasions where we want to get the deponent out of the deposition room as quickly as possible, where we don't want to ask any questions where we don't want them exposed to any further examination. But there are occasions where you recognize that the direct examination has sliced and diced the facts into unrecognizable fragments. And you'd better put Humpty Dumpty back together again before the deposition ends, or you're going to be at risk of accusations of concocting testimony that, if true, would have been a natural part of the witness's answers in the deposition. So if you're in federal court or are in a state court that has time limits on depositions, this is something to think about in advance. Are there multiple parties? Will there predictably be multiple lawyers examining the same witness? Is the opposing lawyer someone you know who prolongs examinations right up to the seven-hour limit, someone who may intentionally attempt to thwart your follow-up examination? Is this an issue best addressed right now or one that can wait until the deposition is underway? Giving some thought to this in advance will almost always put you in a better spot, and that's where you want to be. That's it for today. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we'll talk to you again soon.